Our gospel for today is from Luke, the 21st chapter. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A teenage boy named Daniel moved to Southern California with his mother, Lucille, hoping for a fresh start. Unfortunately, their fresh start didn't turn out so great. Their new apartment was run down and not in a good neighborhood, and there was a group of bullies at Daniel's new school who knew karate and chose to make Daniel their new target. So Daniel, understandably, starts to feel pretty hopeless until he meets a repairman named Mr. Miyagi, who is a martial arts master, and decides to take Daniel under his wing and promises to train him in a more compassionate form of karate. However, Daniel's doubt and frustration return quickly when it appears that his training with Mr. Miyagi looks more like he is just using Daniel to help him get his chores done around the apartment complex faster. Mr. Miyagi asks him to wax cars, but oddly in a very specific way. Wax on, wax off. Then Mr. Miyagi asks him to paint a fence, also in a very specific way. Up, down, up, down, and so on and so forth. This all seemingly ridiculous. It seems ridiculous, and to echo Pastor Katie's word from last week, pointless. Mr. Miyagi is supposed to be teaching him karate. How are these things helping him to learn that? He does all this work, does everything Mr. Miyagi asks, and it doesn't seem to make a difference. How will this help him live a better life and defend himself against these bullies that keep beating him up? When Daniel is ready to give up the karate lessons, Mr. Miyagi reveals to him that the motions he's been doing often and over and over again during his seemingly pointless chores 
and that are now second nature to him. Wax the car, wax on, wax off, paint the fence up, down, are actually defensive motions that block regular karate attacks. And doing these motions over and over again have made him stronger. It turns out that all of that hard work really did pay off and did make a big difference. It was just difficult to see in the moment. Now, I'm guessing some of you, if not all of you, may have recognized this to be the plot line of the 1984 movie, The Karate Kid. And I bring this up today because as Christians, and especially as Lutheran Christians, it can be difficult sometimes to see how the ministries and work we do as a faith community make a difference. It feels like we're just waxing and painting over problems and pain and injustices and not really achieving anything. What's more, there are days when we struggle with life and faith and wonder what difference did Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, resurrection truly make? Is Emmanuel God still really with us today? Does what we believe and what we do really make a difference? You know, I bet Jesus actually wondered this at times himself. In fact, the context for our gospel lesson for today makes me wonder if he didn't think that in the midst of this situation. So leading up to our gospel lesson for today, Jesus has been talking to and teaching the disciples and a crowd of people in the temple in Jerusalem, saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. Next, there are several wealthy people who come into the temple to make this elaborate display of their donations. And then a poor woman comes and puts in just two small coins. And Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Now Jesus is trying to teach the people here and tell the people that the hierarchy and the system of religion in that day was not fulfilling its duty to help and support those less fortunate. And that leads us to our gospel for today, which begins with some of the people admiring the beauty of the temple, which was known across the known world for its beauty and magnificence. They talk about how wonderful it is that these beautiful stones and gifts adorned the temple in honor of God. At this point, I can almost picture Jesus doing a face palm and thinking, haven't you heard a word I've been saying? Perhaps Jesus, like Daniel the karate kid, is thinking, are my teachings, my work here on earth, making any difference? In all of these passages, Jesus is trying to shine a light on the fact that the religious leaders, authorities, and the wealthy people of that day were not using their wealth and power to help the people most in need and most vulnerable, those oppressed and outcast. Instead, their wealth was going to beautify the temple, a building that had already been destroyed once, a building that, if you remember from Old Testament stories, God explicitly says over and over again that he does not want because God wants to be among the people, not in some house, some temple, some building. And so now this temple and religious system was not honoring God. 
So Jesus says, as for all these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now this finally grabs their attention. This temple, which they see as central to their faith and life, will be destroyed. Last time the temple was destroyed, the people were sent into exile for around 70 years. Furthermore, even before Jesus came, the destruction of of the temple was seen as part of prophecies of the end of time. And so now they all want to know what signs should they look for that the end of time is near. And then Jesus begins talking about people who will lead the Jewish people astray, addressing others at the time who claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus actually wasn't the only one. Jesus also talks about wars and insurrections, earthquakes, famines, plagues, persecution and imprisonment, betrayal of friends and family, even death. And then our gospel ends with Jesus saying, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Now, when you first heard this today, my guess is that you probably didn't think, oh, what wonderful news. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. For the majority of us, hearing that these things are coming in our future would not be good news. Perhaps your reaction was like mine, thinking there have been several wars and insurrections, earthquakes, famines, plagues, persecution and imprisonment, betrayal of friends and family, and much death since Jesus said this. Where is he? Why hasn't he come back yet? But if you are hearing this as one who was or is still experiencing poverty, oppression, and or slavery, the fact that the end is coming is good news. It was a renewed sense of hope that the beautif- of the beautiful image that was prophesied in Isaiah 64 that we heard today. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. But the end did not come. The Jews continued to be persecuted for thousands of years and are still persecuted today. One example is of the Jews in Nazi Germany who would have, I'm sure, sincerely hoped for the end to come. They would have hoped that the Messiah would come soon. And many probably wondered whether their faith really made a difference at this time. That's actually what the piece that we heard during the prelude and will continue during our offering today lifts up. Though not a Jew himself, composer Paul Hindemith struggled with the violence and murder of the Jewish people under Nazi Germany. He was outraged with the blurred lines of life and death, right and wrong, with extreme anti-Semitism and racism. So he decided to fight back in his own way and wrote this piece of music in protest to what was going on, taking a well-known Nazi march that he heard frequently outside of his classroom when he was teaching in Berlin, and wrote this piece as, and transformed it into a mocking, childlike sonata. And while this may not seem like much to some of us, 
It was because of this music that was said to be influenced by degenerates, and probably also partly because his wife was half Jewish, that all of his music was banned from public performance by the Nazi government. Now we could tell many stories like this of people who decided to fight back in their own way throughout history. People who fought and continued to fight against slavery and racism of BIPOC peoples, again, black, indigenous, and people of color. People who fight for fair wages and equal treatment. People who fought and died for what they believed in. And you may ask, what difference did they make? Today, as we enter into yet another season of Advent, a season that many think of as a time to count down the days until Christmas, when we get to celebrate the birth of baby Jesus who gave hope to the world 2,000 years ago, we still live in a world filled with hatred, violence, prejudice, and oppression. Hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, and floods, a world filled with pain, injustice, and death. We have been waxing on and off for years, supporting programs that feed the hungry and give housing to the homeless. We've been painting up and down, speaking for justice, equity, and equality, and against those who take advantage of the lowly, the outcast, the stranger, and the refugee. And perhaps you are asking, is what we are doing today in Jesus' name making any difference? One night, when I was feeling particularly beat down and very overwhelmed by all of the horrible things in this world that caused so much pain and suffering to so many people. I was in line at the grocery store and I saw this magazine. It's Seattle Magazine. And the front cover, if you can't quite see it, is a picture of a body of water with just one hand sticking up. And across that hand says, don't give up. Owner and publisher of Seattle Magazine, Jonathan Spasato, writes, As Voltaire simply stated, life is struggle. But I also believe conflict and reversals are not the opposite of progress. They are, in fact, a necessary part of it. And it is during times of crucible that heroes emerge. These heroes protest. They doggedly stay on an issue longer than others. They recognize that interim success is not final, nor failure necessarily the end. In other words, they don't give up. That, I believe, is central to the message and purpose of Advent today. Advent is not just about counting down the days to Christmas, and Christmas is not just about celebrating Jesus' birthday 2,000 years ago. Advent is about taking time to notice the ways in which God is still making a difference today. There are many articles in this magazine that talk about local heroes here in Seattle that are doing amazing work to help fight injustice in our country. The time of Advent is an important time to notice how God is continuing to create and recreate the earth in our midst in, with, and through us, and those heroes that Spasado wrote about that don't give up. Advent is about looking towards the future with hope and confidence in that vision in Isaiah and holding on to that, prof that promise from Isaiah 12. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. 
For the Lord is my strength and my might and has become my salvation. So when the weight of the world starts to get to you, hold on to what you know. Wax on, wax off. When things seem hopeless and bleak, do the things that remind you of God's love and grace. Paint up and down. And don't give up, because that is how we grow stronger, and in the end, we will overcome the brokenness of this world and be restored to wholeness and new life. In Jesus' name, amen.